God, we thank you for your work in the world. We thank you for uh, that you are a God who has been faithful for generations and generations and generations. We thank you for the testimonies of past generations of, of what you have done in, in their lives, what they have seen of you. And we want to see you at work in our generation as well. And we want to be faithful in telling the next generation of what we have seen and heard of you and experienced of you. We ask that you would use your scripture today to, to build that even further into our hearts, that we may know you and spread the message of who you are to all who can hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Uh, it's a well-documented uh, uh, reality that time seems to go faster and faster uh, the older we get. So when we uh, are born, when we first experience life as a little baby, everything is new. And, and we live in the moment because that's really the only option that we have. And so we, we explore, we look at the world, and time just seems to stretch on forever. Minutes seem to last forever. Days are an eternity for a tiny little baby. And then as we grow up into uh, becoming a little bit older of a kid, we, we experience more and more life. Our, bodies are growing and developing. We're experiencing new things. And then we start school and time seems to speed up a little bit. This year seems to go just a, a little bit faster than the last year. And as we experience it, it's like our birthday is one day sooner this year than it used to be. And it continues to uh, experience things. And, and so it seems like this year, the, the last day of school came a little bit faster than it did last year. So yes, the school year still seems like a really long time. And summer break can seem like a long time. But when you finally get to the end of that school year, you look back and you have this mixture, this, this funny feeling that's a mixture of, of joy and, and sorrow. Joy because you know you should be happy because summer break is here and you have all that fun, all of those months of playing. But sorrow over that sense of there's something that is never going to be there again. And then you hit adolescence and you have all of the changes and all the rapidness of what's happening there. And every day seems to have a new experience, a new emotion, something else going on. And then suddenly you're past adolescence, you're out of school, you're into young adulthood and you smile as people tell you that time passes quickly because old age is just something way off into the future that is never going to actually happen to you. You joke about being a real adult. And then suddenly you are. You are a real adult. You have kids in your house, and they appear to be your own kids. You have a house and a job. You have a mortgage and a retirement account. And you wake up, and you find that your babies are now in school. And, and they're not just starting school, but suddenly they're in middle school. Suddenly they're graduating. They're out of the house, and you're wondering, where is this time going? It's just going, clicking, clicking, clicking. You wake up, you look in the mirror one day, and you are shocked because it's not just that you are graying, but this face that's looking back at you, is wrinkled and, and there's white hair everywhere. You have now become an old person. And then you go to the grocery store and you see that, that mom with the kids and you just can't help but stop and say, enjoy them. <laughs> it goes so fast. Time goes faster and faster and faster. And the older we get, the, the shorter the years seem to be. I didn't think I was going to get emotional about this. 2001 was just yesterday, right? But it was 15 years ago. 2016 just started. We're halfway through the year already. Time just clips at a faster and faster pace. The, the songwriter put it well. Uh, time barrels on like a runaway train. You cannot slow down time. You cannot freeze the frame. You cannot add hours to the day. Time will pass, and it will seem to pass faster and faster the older you get. 
My point here is not to cause existential angst in you. It's to ask a very important question. How are you going to make your life count? You can't slow it down. You can't go back. You can't freeze it. But you can make it count from today to the rest of your life. How are we going to do that? The text that we have before us today is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. If you hear Deuteronomy, and this doesn't sound like a familiar book to you, don't panic. This is the fifth book in the Bible. It's toward the very beginning. It's written at a very crucial time of the history of God's dealing with his people. He has chosen this man, Abraham, and turned him into this great nation, the people of Israel. And they were living in slavery in the land of Egypt. But God rose up this man named Moses, and he used Moses to lead them out of slavery in Egypt and bring them into the the verge of their very own land. This was an exciting time for them. They were about to finally take possession of, of their own place. But Moses now is going to preach to them a very important lesson. What does it mean for them to to live in obedience to God and have a relationship with him? It's a very important sermon. And we're going to see just a little portion of that sermon here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in doing so, we're going to learn how to live to make our lives count. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, is found on page 175 of the Pew Bibles. Deuteronomy 4, page 175. We're going to see two things that we need to do to make our lives count. The first thing in this is this. We have to watch ourselves. So look at the first verses here, verses 1 through 6. This is what Moses says to the people of Israel, gathered to hear. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. And in verse 9, only be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. So Moses is teaching the people how to live in a way that is pleasing to God and that is for their best. And so he gives them a series of commands here. In verse 1, it's to hear and then to follow. In verse 2, it's to keep these commands. In verse 5, he's teaching them them so that they will follow them. In verse 6, it's observe them carefully. In verse 9, be careful, watch yourselves closely. You can't miss the point. He's hammering it home again and again and again. We have to watch ourselves. We are called to live in obedience. Moses is calling the people to make this personal for themselves. They are called to watch their lives and personally uh, obey God. He's commanding them this. He's repeating it again and again and again because it's so easy to forget. But this is something that really matters. What is in the balance here is the difference between life and death. If they will obey God, if they will live in relationship with him, they see that they will have life. That's the promise in verse 1. It's so that you may live, that you may go in, that you possess the land. In other words, so you will live and experience the blessing of God. But on the flip side of that is what happens if you turn away from God. That's what verses 3 and 4 are about. They saw with their own eyes what happened. 
At Baal Pure, people were turning away from God, worshiping other gods. The men were sleeping with other women and not obeying the law of God. And what happened had a devastating impact on the community. There's a difference here between life and death. And it's always tempting for God's people to look elsewhere for their sense of a purpose, of identity, for joy, for life. But he's calling them back to see that life is found only here. You and I have to see that too. If we're going to live a life that counts, it starts with having a real relationship with God. We have to know him and obey him personally. We're in this important season right now as a church where we're focusing on being a church that effectively reaches our community beyond our walls. And if we're ever going to do that, it first has to be personal for us. We're never going to be able to reach beyond our walls with the message of Christ if that message hasn't had a deep impact on each one of us personally. I mean, how can you lead someone to something that, that you haven't experienced yourself? It has to be personal. So think about it like this. I would like to retire someday. Uh, some of you want to work until you're 85 years old or something like that. I think retirement sounds pretty nice. It sounds like a pretty good deal. Uh, but the problem is, of course, that we have to have some kind of income if we're going to be able to retire. Right now, we're uh, providing for our expenses by having a job. Uh, if I'm ever going to get to the point where I'm not having a job anymore, I have to have some kind of money. But I'm not a financial genius, but I've heard about this thing called an individual retirement account, an IRA. And this sounds like a great deal. You, you put money into this account, and then over time, you keep adding to it. And over time, if the economy goes well and all those things, that money grows and grows and grows. And someday, I'm going to be able to stop working and take money out of that account and be able to live off that money. So the problem solved, right? I, I will have an income source. It's a great plan. But let's say I never actually open up uh, an IRA account, and I never actually put money into that account. What happens then when I decide that I am ready to retire? Well, I don't actually have any money there, right? I can't actually do it. I could protest and say, well, listen, I, I thought this was a great plan. I agree that this is the right thing to do. I'm on board with the concept of an IRA. I know people who have IRAs, and, and, and I, I have proximity. I have friends who have IRAs, so isn't that enough? Well, no, if I haven't actually been putting money into it personally and setting money aside then I'm not going to actually personally benefit from that. It's the same thing with the, the message of the gospel, this good news that God sent his son to rescue us. That message is only good if we accept it personally, if it has a, an actual personal impact on us. It's not enough to just kind of think, oh yeah, that sounds like an interesting story, or that sounds like something that I'd, I'd like to be close to people who believe in that. No, it has to have an actual impact on us. The message has to be personal. If I'm going to tell people why Jesus is so great and why they should have a relationship with God, I have to experience it first myself. So we as a church are, are calling each other right now to take up the mission that Jesus has given us as his followers, to go and make more followers of Jesus, to, to be his witnesses here and all throughout the world. Tell everyone everywhere the great news. But if we're going to do that, it has to live in us. We first have to experience it as good news. So what are we talking about here? What is the gospel? How does it actually impact my life? Well, the gospel starts with the realization that I realize that I am a miserable, rotten sinner. The truth of the reality of who I am as a person is that I am self-centered and egotistical. I don't really care too much about God except what he can give me. That's my starting point, and I don't care too much about other people as far as uh, they go. They can kind of do their own thing, but I'm worried about myself. I'm concerned about myself. I am at the center of my existence. 
And the Bible says that what that means is that I deserve, because of my rebellion against God and shaking my fist at him, I deserve to spend eternity in hell. But God loved me so much that he sent his son to change that reality. He sent Jesus to live in a normal human body and and to show what it means to live in a real relationship with God. He shows what obedience to God looks like. But not only that, God realized that, that I deserve hell for my sin. And so he sent Jesus to suffer and to die for me. He died a death that I deserve and I benefit from him. By dying on the cross, Jesus takes away the penalty of my sin and he forgives that, forgives my sins and takes away that penalty. And then God raised Jesus from death to life to show that all of God's enemies have been defeated. That's the good news and it hits my life by giving me a new purpose. My purpose isn't to just accumulate stuff and have as much fun as possible now. My purpose is to give God glory in everything that I do and to tell as many people as possible how great God is. My identity now is no longer wrapped up in what you think of me and and how you perceive me. My identity is now wrapped up in the fact that Jesus has died for me and I am now a son of God, a co-heir with Jesus himself. This has made a difference in our lives, right? God has given us peace and joy and hope. I don't know about you, but those aren't things that are natural to me. But best of all, he has given me himself. He's taught me what it means to live in relationship with him. Because here's the reality. My heart runs after all sorts of things that are not God. But what I discover when I live in obedience to God, when I live in relationship with him, is that he is what my heart has always wanted. Do you know that? Do you have a, a real relationship with God? Or are you just kind of playing church? Just kind of getting your religious fix? What we are called to is not religion. It's not just being religious people. What we are called to is an actual relationship with a God who loves us, who wants us to treat him as our true father, to have a conversation with him daily through prayer, to be listening for his voice in the scriptures and in prayer, to be thinking about who he is and praising him for that, to be considering what he has done for us and thanking him for all of that. If we are going to reach our community, if we're going to teach others to follow Jesus, we have to know him personally. If Jesus isn't the greatest treasure of our lives, how can we tell others that Jesus should be the greatest treasure of their life? The whole thing starts with the gospel. You and I need to first experience that life is found only in Christ. If you want to live a life that counts, it starts right here. You watch yourself. You make it personal. It starts with a real relationship with God. Second thing, if we want to make our lives count, is invest in others. This call to make this relationship with God personal has a missional impulse from the very beginning. Look again at verse 6. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? So one of the reasons that God's people are called to obey him is so that it will have an impact on others. So the people who live near God's people will see what's going on. They'll see the kind of life they live, and and they will see what it looks like to be blessed by God. 
A couple weeks ago, we looked at the mission of God in the world, and we saw it starting from the very beginning with this man Abraham, and God had an intention from the very beginning to bless all families of the earth through him and through his family. This is that. God is showing himself to be the true God through this special relationship with Israel. People are going to be able to see that life in relationship with God is the greatest possible life. But it gets even more intentional. The impact on others gets more intentional as we look specifically at the commands that Moses gives from nine to the, verse 9 to the end. Look again there. He's saying, only be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So Moses is calling them to remember, but it's not just to remember for their own sake. Yes, that's an important aspect of this, but it's also to remember so they can teach the next generation and the generation after that what they saw. And this is one of the big themes in the book of Deuteronomy, that this generation that that has seen and experienced God needs to tell the next generation of what's happening. We see it here in chapter 4. We see it again in chapter 6. Moses again says, These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In chapter 11, he reminds this particular generation that, that their kids and their grandkids didn't see what they saw. So they have to tell that next generation of what they have seen and experienced of God to be able to pass on those stories. Really, this generation has seen God do amazing things. He's reminding them here in verses 10 through 14. They saw God speak this word in magnificent displays of power. They saw that the mountain uh, trembling. They saw fire coming out of it. They know that these commands are not just a human invention. This isn't just stuff that Moses made up to try to keep them in line. They heard the voice of God telling them how to live. That next generation didn't experience that. They didn't see the mountain shaking. They didn't see the fire coming up, the billows of smoke. They didn't hear this great sound like thunder telling them these commands. They weren't in the wilderness when God provided bread for them day after day after day, miraculously, bread from heaven. They weren't there when God parted the waters of the Red Sea so that God's people could go by safely on dry land. They didn't see and experience these things. And because they didn't experience them, it will be very easy for them to lose sight of how important it is for them to cling to God and hold fast to him like their parents did. See, personal experience has such a powerful impact on our outlook and our actions. Some of you know that I worked for the National Park Service uh, seasonally while I was in college. And uh, we spent a lot of time out in the Alaskan wilderness, which is what we call bear country. And this meant that we always had to be pretty careful to make sure we had some sort of bear protection with us, whether it was a shotgun or or bear spray, pepper spray, or something else. But even then, it was pretty easy to grow lax on this. 
So I remember uh, one day we were loading up the four-wheelers and, and heading off the trail to a work site in the morning. And uh, we were driving along, minding our own business, and all of a sudden the, the four-wheeler in front of me stopped. And I wonder what was going on. So we stopped too, we got out, and, and they had seen a, uh, a bear, a grizzly bear, and a couple of cubs. Now, if you know anything about bear safety, you know that having cubs there exponentially increases the danger because uh, mother bears are very, very protective of their cubs. So, of course, uh, knowing this danger, we wanted to make sure that our bear protection was handy. So we went and realized no one had gotten ready the shotgun. It was actually still in its case buried in the back of a trailer somewhere behind one of the four-wheelers. So we had to go back, dig it out. We pulled it out and realized no one had even loaded it for the day. It wasn't even, it wasn't even near us. Now, in that particular instance, it was fine. The bear was far enough away, and it wasn't too interested in us. It just kind of moved on with its day. But it was easy to see how, how you get used to being out there. You grow lax pretty easily. But there was one guy that I knew that never grew lax. I saw him first at the uh, shooting range. He was another Park Service employee, and he had brought, we had to qualify to show that we could actually uh, hit something with a, a target with the, with the rifles before we could take it out into the field with us. They don't want a bunch of uh, crazy people out there. Uh, so this guy brought his own pistol. It was one of these giant revolvers, a 454 uh, revolver, if you know what that is. It's this giant, uh, giant pistol. And, and this guy was just a little guy. But as soon as he started shooting that pistol at a target, it was incredible. I mean, just boom, 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 as fast as, you, as, fast as he could do it. And, and with deadly accuracy, his, his grouping was so tight. If you've ever shot a pistol, you know just how hard that is. And if you've ever shot a four fifty four, you really know how impressive that is. This was clear evidence that this guy spent a lot of time practicing. He was out of the range many, many days to make sure that he could go fast and accurate. Now, here's why. When that guy was younger, he was mauled by a grizzly bear. He had had the experience of a bear attack firsthand. He still carried the scars on his face from those giant paws. And having had that experience, he was never going to let his guard down again. He was going to be ready no matter what. You know that guy, when he was in the woods, was always ready. And he was preparing ahead of time because that experience had a huge impact on him. See, what we experience has a big impact on how we live and what we do. Some of us have seen God do amazing things. God has provided for us in ways that we never could have imagined, whether it's a, it's a financial thing or, or he has he's brought us back to health. or God has done great things in our lives, and we have seen those things. We have a responsibility and a huge opportunity to tell the next generation what we have seen and heard. See, we don't get to give someone an experience of God. We can't make someone a child of God. God doesn't have grandchildren. Every person has to experience him personally. But we have an opportunity to tell the stories of what we have experienced of him to that next generation. We get to tell what we've experienced. Maybe the next generation, they haven't experienced it for themselves yet. They haven't seen it with their own eyes. But that's why it's so important for us to share those stories. That's what Moses is telling the people throughout the book of Deuteronomy. He's telling the people to teach your children, teach your children's children what you have experienced of God. Invest in others because God uses those stories to engage that next generation and draw them into a relationship with him. If we want to live in a way that matters, if we want to make a difference, we're called to invest in others. And in particular focus here is investing in that next generation. This is one of the great passions of our church. Reaching the next generation is one of Trinity's passions. And for those of you who are new, you need to know a little bit of the story of what has happened here over the past four years. 
When I got here six years ago, there were days, uh, Sundays, where my son was the only baby in nursery. And we were struggling with whether or not we could even continue to offer Sunday school for kids. And we felt God calling us to do something about this because we realized that this meant that we weren't reaching the kids in our community. So we started praying about this. We started thinking about what can we do to engage more kids and more families. And we started dreaming about what God would have for us. And one of the things that we thought through that is we really wanted to hire a full-time pastoral staff member to be intentional about reaching out to that next generation. But we realized that we just didn't have the resources. We didn't have the funds to do that financially. In the midst of all of that, God provided out of nowhere $100,000 out of a trust fund. Someone had us in their will, and they passed away, and we had $100,000 suddenly to work with. And we took that as God's leading. We took a step of faith then and, and hired on Pastor Travis's position. That was in 2012. And God not only provided the, the funding for that, but he also provided more opportunities for ministry. We started seeing more kids and more families coming. We were able to engage them with the good news. And we also realized that we didn't want this just internally. We wanted to get out into our community as well. So we started working on getting a Kids Hope program, a mentoring program, out in Foster Elementary School. And those of you who know that process know Pastor Travis worked for like eight months really hard to finally get permission to be able to do that program in the school. We just finished our third school year with that program and some of the stories coming out of there and the, the relationships that developed between people in our church and students at Foster has been an incredible blessing to be able to see. And at the same time, the ministry of the next generation here has been growing beyond what we could have done in our own power. This past uh, winter, we were averaging 46 kids, fifth grade and younger. And just to give you a picture of what that looks like, my wife was teaching um, in the preschool class, and, and they had 19 three- and four-year-olds. Imagine that many kids around those tables just filling up that room, 19, just in that little age group. And that wasn't a fluke. That's a normal kind of thing for us now. I mean, that's beyond what we could have imagined before. It's what we dreamed about when we first started this process. God has been so good to us, and, and, and that's actually making an, an impact on the kids' lives as well. I know it's making an impact because my son tells me that, Lord, I need you is, no, not that one. What's, the, what's your favorite song, buddy? Jesus paid it all. And I hear my daughter singing it out the top of her voice around the lunch table. And even my, my little two-year-old singing not just Jesus loves me, but also God is able uh, as much as he can. And, and he actually thinks it's God's table, which is not quite right. So we'll work on the theology next. But, but the songs are there. They're starting to have an impact on him already. This is having a powerful influence. We, I love to see the heart that this church has for kids. We rejoice that God has given us so many opportunities and to see these kids growing up into young adulthood and, and growing and hearing the stories of what God has done through the ages, through your lives and through their parents' lives and now starting to experience them himself. As great as this is, we realize that our community is still filled with kids who don't know Jesus. There are tons of kids in, in our community right here within a couple miles of where we're standing right now who don't know God. We feel that God is calling us ahead again to be intentional, not just to sit and relax and, and be happy with where things are. Yes, rejoice with where things are, but realize that we are still called on a mission. We are, are needing to be intentional about reaching out to, again to that next generation. As part of the, this one mission work that we're doing, a big part of this is, is getting our space ready 
for kids' ministry. So as some of you know, if you've been following along with us, we have a goal of raising 300000 over the next three years to do some key renovations to our facility here to make it a, a great space for ministry. One of my favorite parts of that is making the lower level a space totally dedicated to kids. We love kids here. We want to be intentional about reaching out to that next generation. We want this to be a great space for them. We, we started off that a little bit a couple years ago with adding some color down there, some kid-friendly design. We want to take that now to the next level to really allow that ministry to thrive and be a place not only for teaching our own kids about Jesus, but where they will be able to invite their friends to come and to hear of what God has done in their lives and throughout history. Because we have uh, kids from the community, we want to be able to reach them with the gospel as well. And by the way, uh, if you are one of the kids in our congregation, this means that you are involved with this as well. When we talk about our ones, the people that God has laid on our hearts, who he's called us to minister to you, you aren't off the hook here, kids. You have friends and classmates and neighbors that you know that you too are positioned to reach with the good news of Jesus. We want to help you in, in, uh, engage them with the good news of Jesus. We want you to be able to tell your stories of what you have heard about who he is. And we want you to be able to invite them to come and to hear about Jesus alongside of you. You're a part of this too. God calls his people, in Deuteronomy in particular, one generation to the next to tell what we have seen and what we've heard. That's what we want to do. And the impact of this goes far beyond what we're going to see today or next year or even in 10 years. One of the reasons I asked Julie to share her story is because I wanted you to get a picture of the the long-term impact of what this looks like. I love that story. It shows the huge difference that intentional choices can make. It was someone making a choice to be intentional, but to, to go and to reach out beyond the walls of their church and to bring someone in. And it was about the church being ready to welcome them, being ready to teach them about Jesus and, and what it means to live all of life in obedience to him. And the impact of over five generations and to see the impact, and that's just one particular family. You think of what that will look like in several generations from what, the work we are starting to do right here, right now. You think about what that looks like for, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our great-grandkids, for our great-great-grandkids. This is one of the great parts of Trinity's heartbeat and one of the great parts of Trinity's history. We're seeing it continue today. That's why kids' ministry is so important to us. We want our lives to count. We see that we are called to reach the next generation, to invest in them, to tell the stories of what God has done. See, the reality is that life is moving fast. And those of you who are my age and older know that it just gets faster and faster and faster. I'm saying this as a 33-year-old. Some of you can nod your head and say, yes, you're going to blink and suddenly you're 80. It goes faster and faster all the time. So this is the charge for us if we want to make our lives count. First, it has to be personal for us. We have to watch ourselves, watch our lives. And then we are called to invest in others, to reach that next generation, to tell what we have seen and heard. We don't get to slow down time. We don't get to freeze the frame and make the most of the moments. We don't get to rewind the tape and go back. But we can make our life count from now on. This is what we're about right now. Now, next week, I want to uh, share a little bit. Next week will be a special Sunday for us. Uh, this is wrapping up toward the end of our One Mission uh, series now. And next week is uh, Commitment Sunday. And it'll be, I want to explain a little bit about that so you have a, a chance to, to get ready for that and know what to expect. 
We've been talking about this a few, for a few weeks now, and I trust that you've been praying over this and, and thinking through this. Uh, but next Sunday, we'll have a normal service, and then toward the end of the service, Excuse me. Toward the end of the service, uh, we'll give everyone a commitment card. It'll come in a little red envelope like this, and inside is a commitment card that looks like this, and it'll give a chance for you to make your uh, three-year commitments uh, to the work that we're doing here. So each person will be given a commitment card. We'll have a chance during the service then to fill that out, and then we'll come forward, bring them to a basket in the front here as a sign of our commitment uh, together as a church family. And I would love for you to be taking opportunities this week to uh, pray over this as a family and to really focus your prayers on what your commitment will be. So take time to, to sit down as a family to decide what you feel that God is calling you to. But I never want us to lose sight of why we are doing this. We aren't doing this because we want all of your money and we're really greedy people. This is all about a heart for reaching those who aren't yet here. It's about reaching that next generation who right now is outside of Christ. It's for reaching our ones, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our classmates who right now are living apart from God. The reality is there is a whole community around us for whom that is true. And the Bible tells us that God has a heart for them. Remember that story from Luke 15. That Jesus said a, a shepherd leaves 99 sheep safe and goes after that one single lost sheep. That's how much every single person matters to God. And when, when he finds that one lost sheep and brings it back safely to himself, Jesus says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's why we're putting so much energy and so much effort into this, because we want to make a difference. There are, there are ones in my life, there are ones in your life that you care about, that you want to be intentional about reaching. We want to do everything we can to do that. Life is short, and we're going to do everything we can to make our lives count. Would you please join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you are a God who calls us to big things, you have called us to yourself, and, and that in itself is a huge deal. You have made all the difference in the world to us personally. We see that, that life is found in you, and we experience that. It's an amazing thing. And God, we also realize that you have called us beyond ourselves to, to reach more people. You have created everyone in your image. They all have value and, and meaning to you, and you love them. And you're calling us as your people to go and to be witnesses for Christ everywhere we are, to go and to make more followers of Jesus. We want to do that, God. We want to be obedient to you, to do what you have called us to do. I pray that you would send your spirit to empower us so that we can do that effectively and courageously. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.